Welcome to Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps, a podcast for you, the players, supporters and the hard-working volunteers that make our glorious game from the lowest to the highest level throughout the UK and beyond. I'm Rick, I'm here with Ian, Richard and Neil as we take you on a journey around our home here at Winsor Cricket Club in Burton-on-Trent. On this podcast we'll bring you updates on Winsor CC... We'll also be answering all your questions and inviting you, the listener, to send in your stories from around the cricketing world. We will, of course, have a special guest coming from their view from Cow Corner with their opinions, ideals and anecdotes. So, let's get started and bring you up to date with the goings-on at Winsel, the little club with the big personality. Stumps, umps and beer pumps. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps. On this episode in Cow Corner, we have coach, player and director of Clean Hit Cricket, Howard Dytham. We'll be hearing from Howard and Livo a little later on. But first, it is with deepest regret we have to say we have lost two legends of the game. Australian legend Rodney Marsh, aged 74, and arguably the best spinner cricket has ever produced, player and pundit, Australian Shane Warne, just 52. Rod Marsh played 96 tests and 92 ODIs for Australia between 1970 and 1984. Marsh took over 460 catches as wicketkeeper for Australia and scored nearly 5,000 runs with a top score of 132. Shane Warne was widely regarded as one of the greatest bowlers in cricket history and in the year 2000 he was selected by a panel of cricket experts as one of five wisdom cricketers of the century. Playing 145 tests and 194 one-day internationals for Australia, Shane Warne took over 1,000 wickets between 1992 and 2007 when he retired from international cricket to become a well-loved and more respected pundit. His 708 test wickets came at an average of 25.4 and his 293 ODI wickets at an average of 25.7. Also a very useful lower-order batsman has scored over 3,000 test runs. Here at Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps, we send our deepest sympathy to the family and friends at this time. They will be sorely missed. In other news, we at Winsel have our presentation evening coming up on Saturday the 18th of March at Burton Rugby Club. The evening's entertainment will be provided by our very own James Roebuck and his band Captain Full Strength. We will detail all our winners on our next edition. Training is going very well, it is in full swing and the new season is nearly upon us. Our first pre-season friendly is on April the 16th and both sides will be up against local rivals Burton. We also have our annual Cricket Force working party at Winsall on April the 9th and expect to see a good turnout. So get yourselves down the ground and many hands make light work. I'm sure there'll be a few, uh, few ales supped along the way as well. So put it in your diaries and get yourselves down there. OK, that said, let's go over to Cow Corner and listen from Livo, Mars and our special guest, Howard Dytham. And joining me in Livo in Cow Corner today is my oppo, Rich Marser. Good day. And together with us is our special guest, Level 4 coach and owner of Clean Hit Cricket, Howard Dytham. Morning, Howard. Good morning. It's 
great to see you here today, Howard, as we've been trying to get this recorded together for a while. It's uh, it's probably even more timely right now, though, as clubs all around the country start back at pre-season nets and training. But we'll come to that in a little while, together with some of your thoughts on the club cricket world, your coaching business, and the importance of club development programmes to counties such as where we are now in Derbyshire. So we'll get started by just where we always start, by getting to know a little bit more about you, Howard. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background and about your earliest memories of sport and obviously in particular cricket okay thanks yeah good to uh, be able to chat um so yeah i mean cricket seems to be something i've been involved in or done ever since i can remember my dad played a lot in he's, he's a bertonian himself he played a lot uh for marston's uh, and one of the sides back in the 60s um i didn't see him play a lot to be fair because he wasn't playing regularly when i was when I was around, um, but um, I think he'd been a, he was a decent player and, and he played when the Brewers were strong. I think he always tells me about the Brewers always had There's one some legendary pro. stories yeah. going back yeah. there, isn't it? Yeah. So um, and obviously his his interest has, has uh, come down to me. Um, so yeah, played um, cricket for as long as I can remember. And Barton was my first club, and then coaching wise, I started. From a fairly early age, sort of late teens, early twenties, starting on coaching. Oh, there's an obvious question you've left me into there, isn't there? Was that because you weren't good enough to play? <laughs> well, obviously not. Well, it's obviously the question not. you ask a referee yeah, in football, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know really. Just an interest really in coaching, and, and you know, people talk about vocational type stuff. It seems mm. to have worked out. Yeah, um, I'm certainly long in the tooth enough to have been in it a while now. Um, but again, you know, I play occasionally now. I'd, I'd, I'd miss it if I suddenly said I'm not playing <laughs> at all. Um, when I'm out there, I love it. Uh, you know, I get as nervous now for a, a lower... So you're always down on game. that selection list as available. I'm always down as A another, if needed. <laughs> yeah. You don't have any sports, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh, you long time. Going in long time. All the time. Yeah. Spending a lot of time. So he had, he had that yeah. for probably 20 years wow. or so. And then he, he sold it to Clive Jacobs at, yeah. at Ross now. Clive mm-hmm. had it for a small number of years. And then, unfortunately, it, uh, mm. it went by the wayside. But, uh, yeah, my dad had it till he retired. Yeah. So going back to when you started your coaching career, effectively, you must have been one of those very unusual, very young gentlemen to have started that around that time. That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I was. I didn't think of it like that. I mean, you, you go on your... your well, I've been in coaching long enough to know not just the different levels, but probably three lots of different systems where yeah. get what goes around comes yeah. around. Yeah, because we've got another one now again. So yeah, so I think when I did my what is equivalent to level one, I think it was called Coach Award. And then it became level one. Then it went back to something else again. And the level two was called Senior Award mm-hmm. back then. And then I did my advanced coaching course and then level three. Which are the same thing basically, but I'd end up doing both as a, as right. a transition. Um, so yeah, I would have been young, but I didn't at the time. I would think that there's nobody else on the course who is young. And I obviously did the, the coach award and the senior award were both in county, so in Derbyshire, as they are now. Yeah. And the the old advanced course was when when East well East, the, it was only just the ECB then, but the TCCB as it was before. Wow. That, yeah, the yeah. Test became, and County Cricket Board. Yeah. Was just about to morph into the ECB, and the the if you like the na- national headquarters of what is now Loughborough was Lillishaw. Yes. Yeah. So I did my advanced course there. We went away for a week, and you, it, I mean, if you've ever been to Lillishaw, you drive. It's about two miles down the drive, mm-hmm. and you don't come out for fresh air till the end of the week again. It's a bizarre <laughs> place. And the old indoor school in there is is I kid you not, it's really narrow. It's only two lanes wide, okay. 
but it must, must be nearly 80 or 90 meters long. So there's two lots of lanes going oh, end to end. Yeah. Wow. It's incredible. Um, but it's but it's a bit soulless in, in there. So there's a sort of a, a classroom off one side of it where we did that. So he did the advanced course there. Um, and that was the first time where I started having exposure. So there'd be some of the other current pros or mm -hmm. ex-pros just starting on the they were usually fast tracked. Yeah. Yeah. So onto their coaching career. So that was that was different again, really, in terms of opening your eyes because mm. um, suddenly, as a non first class player or ex first class player, I, that's where I've, I started learning really hard to work a bit harder than others. And I'm not saying that in any kind of negative sense, but generally, it's what made me a better coach, I think, because mm. I had to suddenly thought, well, he's got, he, him, him, and him are definitely going to get through. So I'm going to have to do well here. So it it uh, it was a good um, held me a good stead really that. And that was your level. That was the advanced course. Um, and there's people like on that there was people like Desmond Haynes. Wow. Advanced with me. People like um, Simon Willis who's just mm. um, just been working. He was head coach down Kent for a bit. Matt Walker is now head coach at Kent. Yeah. Uh, Carl Crickin is still a good friend of mine. Obviously he was at Derby. Derby, yeah. Um, people like that were on that, on that course. And then my level four started in, that's a two and a half year course. That started, I was really lucky to get, I got on, I got on cohort four, mm -hmm. which was pretty early. So I got on 2003 to five, my course was. And that was the course where I really first felt I belonged within that environment because the way it's structured actually made, it didn't matter. Graham Hick was on that, Trevor Penny, Alan Butcher, et cetera, on my cohort. And it didn't matter who they were. It mm -hmm. doesn't really matter in the coaching experience. So Hick was is, a, is an incredibly humble man actually yeah he was on it and he basically started the course he said i'm not too sure why i'm here i've been asked to get up on this but I, i'm going to listen to guys like you because you've done far more coaching than i have yeah. i think there's four of us who are non-first class and we were the first four and that was cohort four but it was amazing because you suddenly you know you did a thing called thought for the day every morning on the course you have a thought for the day and somebody has to lead the discussion on it and you know it'd be, it might be graham dilly who was on that who was talking about how he didn't rate um I was a coach before. Uh, sorry, Duncan Fletcher was talking about. Duncan Fletcher used to flex ideas all over really? the place yeah. when Bill was bowling coach. So it'd be him leading something, and the next minute it might be Barbara Daniels who was on that, and she'd obviously won the World Cup with mm -hmm. his side. To people like me and John Windows as the academy director of Durham, as, yeah. as people well, they made you feel welcome. You Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. You didn't feel like you know they were all talking to each other, and you, you didn't feel like no, it wasn't like that. No, because you did the modules, even though it's two and a half years, you'd yeah. go for a week or four days yeah. on a module, then you'd come back another two weeks later. Exactly. And that was a bit of, some was at Loughborough, some was at Bisham Abbey, some wow. was at Lillishall, some was at Bradford School of Management. That's what, and that's, that is that is the order that made it so impressive because the first two weeks, which were a week long, called Advanced Coaching Skills, were really management mm -hmm. things. And they were done at Bradford School of Management. And therefore, you weren't starting with, say, batting module or bowling module. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. coaching skills. Yeah. So those of us who done more coaching mm -hmm. actually almost probably led on those things. Yeah. And that, and and that gave same, us a bit of kudos. Group, yeah, yeah, all the way through. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then some of those don't complete. Mm. But that's the reality of it. Some, some got sacked halfway yeah. through in terms of there might have been middle sex. There's a lad called Jason Pooley, who was Middlesex's yeah. second team coach. Right. Got sacked halfway through, so didn't complete his level four. Other people, um, you know, completed or went to... Trevor Penny's obviously done a lot of coaching abroad. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I think he finished a few years later because he'd gone to work in Australia, right. etc. But yeah, brilliant, mm. brilliant group of people. And you, you know, two and a half years with them on and off mm. on a regular basis, you get to know them pretty well. And was that was that a full time course effectively? For wasn't you? was I was still working at Derbyshire full time. Okay. So they gave me the time off to go and do that. Yeah. Um, they have to 
sponsor it both financially and otherwise. Right. Um, I, mean, I think it was more expensive now, but those days, I can't remember, it was a few thousand. So mm. it. Uh, but obviously since then, they've actually made it. It's a degree level. Yes. Uh, I think they linked it with the University of Gloucester. Uh-huh. When I did it, uh, I'm glad I did it then in many ways because it was, it was literally cricket mm. facing only. There was none of the, the necessary red tape to get through from an educational perspective with, yep. with the uni. But now people can do it as that and then they can even upgrade it to a master's, I think, since they do a dissertation at the end of it. All so have you thought about taking your coaching further down the route of coach development as well then? Yeah, I've done a lot of coach ed. And I enjoy that as much as coaching, actually. Mm-hmm. But as I've got older, I think I enjoy the softer side of that. Than I mean, I've, I've tutored level ones and twos and a bit on the level three. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow I ended up becoming the, the right-hand man of Gary Yates, who used to deliver the spin bowling module. Yeah. And so I was kind of his, his front man and would set things up on that. And then more recently, I've been a mentor on level three and, and four, which is different again because it's just yeah. it's working with just two or three people. But... Um, yeah, some of my role now with Staffordshire, for example, is Chris mm-hmm. Mill uses me as much to develop the other coaches as he does for my delivery, really. Brilliant. So I, I like that, really. Stumps, bumps, and beer bumps. So g- going back all the way to the beginning again, you started at Barton. What, what yeah. was, why was it Barton being a Bertonian? Um, it's a really good question. So I played there for the old Broxfordians team against, I think, Bernard Nightingale. Oh, yeah, I think it was yeah, yeah. Toxtema, actually. Yeah, yeah. The game used to be at Barton all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I first I remember, there wasn't really any junior club cricket. It genuinely wasn't. No, there wasn't much recent, at all. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. that recent. And and I remember saying to my dad, well, I remember I liked playing now when we played that game. Yeah. And, and at the time, I had to get permission. And this was 1989, 90. So people were only allowed to play for Barton who lived in the village at that point still. Mm. And I had to write and ask if I could join. And and they and they discussed it as a committee and, and let me join. Yeah, so was, Barton were the Staffordshire equivalent of Yorkshire County Cricket. Yeah, it seems to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, good because now that very sadly the team has gone all together now. Uh, it's obviously Dumps have taken over, but yeah. you know, it's a big village that, and it, and it should Absolutely. be a, it should be a strong sporting village. Yeah. Well, it's a good club as well, you know, Holland Sports Club yeah. with all the other facilities of rugby and the tennis and the yeah. social yeah. side. You'd, you'd hope that they could have carried no, cricket on. It's a real shame. No senior football there now, no. I don't think, either. It's mm. a real shame. Yeah. yeah, so that's how it started. And then the guys who I played with there are still good. You know, so Steve Broderick was there then. Steve Scrimshaw was there then. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian Mitchell doesn't play now. Nick Campion. Oh, was it? Campion Graves, a couple of years Graves, ago. Yeah. Ian Graves, Andy yeah. Cropper yeah. were playing then. You know, and their guys are... Yeah. What what level did you get to with Barton then? Playing wise. Yes. Well that was just the Burton that was the Burton District Premier League then. So it's Premier League then in Burton District. Yeah. Which would be the equivalent in the DCCL now, yeah, what do you reckon? Question, I asked myself that and, and, and Richard was, was involved then in the Burton League. In the mid nineties, when the Burton League was at its strongest. When the brewery teams were all in. Yeah, right. still and Oriwas were really good for two yeah. or three years, really good. They and Rolfson were sort of second. They were the first and second each year from I would have said I don't know what you think between Div One ish or Div Two? I, I'd say no, I definitely Div Two. Okay, at least above, probably above that. The standard was great. Some of the players you got back in then, then Keith Lovitz of this yeah. world and all that sort of thing. Yeah, you know they were definitely up there. And then it just diminished the Burton League yeah. as, as people started to leave. Well, again, that was on the back of ECB actually, yeah. and not not deliberately, but because yeah. of the Premier League structures. Your town leagues yeah. everywhere just started to fall apart because yeah. people joined the pyramid. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Barton would have gone at the same time as Winsill, and it was the last big chunk to go together. Mm. But 
Orioles or, or, or yeah. went to that point. Rosen already gone. Yeah. Dunstall had gone before, yeah. quite a bit before, yeah. etc. So yeah, it was. But it was it, for for a few years in in that time. Not not the latter years of it. The latter years mm-hmm. of it, it's, it's poor. Yeah. Wasn't it? It, it was, was poor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, in one at one time there, if you got through to the Brewery Cup final, you'd done really well. Yeah. You know, to to play in the Brewery Cup final yeah. was a was a yeah, pinnacle. Yeah. As yeah. it went on, it, it diminished, and yeah. you know, different players were getting into it. Probably would never have had a sniff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to name any names, but you know, it's it's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Isn't it? it's really, yeah. When you look back at that time, then what would be your fondest memories of those early days with it, that strength of cricket around? Yeah, I think it was just that it it became a bit of a bug. Really, it was, it was somebody who hadn't. Again, because of sort of 18, 19, you're playing club cricket for the first time. Mm-hmm. And first season, I might have played 10 games or whatever, because yeah. you know, as, a, as a late teenager or 20, you know, go on holiday a bit, whatever. And, and, is, and so, is that also because you're outside the village? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine those selection yeah. committee yeah. meetings. <laughs> um, but then within within a year, I was thinking, right, you know, you're just inking 22 games. Mm-hmm. And, and you, were pr- you were proud about your commitment as well as your yeah. performance. Right, I'm in. I'm in for every week because yeah. you, you felt part of something and that's what sport's about isn't it really? absolutely. Yeah. absolutely let me ask you a question based on what you just said there and it's it's a bugbear of uh mine it's a bugbear of i'm sure club all around derbyshire do you have a, a bit of a, an issue now looking around the players around the league now who can't commit to 18 20 22 games because you know we're, we're all of a similar yeah, sort yeah, of age yeah. and we remember that so that's a leading yeah. question, it is a leading question <laughs> yeah. but we remember then it was saturday sunday saturday sunday back in yeah. the day in the yeah. 80s yeah. And it, yeah. absolutely does it become a bit of an issue yeah, my, na- my natural me of course it irks me still but you have to flex to run clubs these days and mm-hmm. i'd prefer to have consistency and availability that doesn't change yeah even if it's sporadic, rather than people who chop and change like yes, that. yeah, that's most more definitely of, more of a more difficult to manage. Yeah. yeah, how much of an impact do you think, though, Howard, it's had from the likes of the football and the rugby season over the past ten years? Because they they just don't know when to end effectively, no, do they? Correct. There's many. I mean, cricket's probably been a bit too comparatively a bit too generous with its spirit. I think mm-hmm. a lot of other sports you're right have become all year round. You could very easily, back when I played, you could play winter sport, have two weeks off, start the next cricket season, two weeks and start again. That's, it was simple. Um, that clearly doesn't happen anymore. But yeah, it's, it, yeah I, think, I think it's a bit of that. I think today's society makes it really challenging for people yeah. to commit long, that that's not as important in people's minds. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I think people like to be able to pick and choose things yeah. more okay. flexibly. Stumps, umps, and beer so how long were you at Barton for then? I think I had... About seven or eight seasons there, first time round. Right. I went to play at Lullington. Okay. For five, six years. Mm-hmm. And that was to initially just to test myself. They were in the Derby League already right. by then. And then towards the end of that time at Lullington, I was getting really busy. I was I was heavily involved at Derbyshire by then and I was heading up the cricket board and stuff. So I wasn't playing as much. Um, so I went back to Barton for a few years. Um, probably played with one of my favourite sides at that point. So I went back, the Burton League was still together then, and I went back and played in, in Div 1, actually, for mm-hmm. Barton had gone down, actually, right. and yeah. played with the side, and we won every single game this season. And it wasn't just about that, but it was a year where everyone played every game in our yeah. side, and it was pretty much um, exactly those kind of things of, you know, mates together on and off the pitch. It yeah. was a great year. Went back up, finished, Barton carried on until um, the Burton League packed up, and then obviously came into the Derby League. I think, mm-hmm. I think Barton got put in Div 2. Div 2 was north and south that first yeah, year, was it? so wasn't yeah. it? Right. So, Ross and Barton were in with people like 
um, Sandeep the second, Belpers the mm-hmm. first team, etc. In that when we first came in, so there's some good cricket. Yeah, and then and then I only joined Technol here really on, on Molly joined as a as a youngster, so I wasn't really involved to start with. Molly came across from Barton to play here because we'd moved house and started nearer this way. Um, she was here from probably. 11, she's 20 now, so mm-hmm. uh, and then I was just sort of picked up, done a bit more and a bit more, a bit more coaching here. Yeah, and it'd be that classic story, parent comes along, the difference is you've got a few qualifications compared <laughs> to most parents. <laughs> club committee, club chairman, someone taps you on the shoulder and yeah. says, can you? Yeah. And the answer, of course, is always yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it makes a big difference then. So, you volunteered, I think is the best way to describe it, when you with Molly being here yeah. at Ticknell. And you know, what's the correct progression been here for you then with at Ticknell Cricket Club? Yeah, so I, I currently have the title of head of cricket, but it's morphed a little bit over the last couple of years, but similar role really. I think the club appreciate having somebody of my experience and, and knowledge just to head the cricket side of things mm-hmm. up. Um, I've tried to professionalise things as much as possible, uh, dragging you know a club forward. Yeah, and I'm sure that's happened in a lot of clubs mm-hmm. um, that, that are moving forward. Um, for a long time, as you said, you know, Aidan and John probably did everything themselves. And uh, the great thing about those two guys is no ego whatsoever. They've just done it for years and years. But now they've got lots of good people around them. Um, so moving things forward. But so overall, yeah, responsibility for the cricket direction. Um, last year became a bit of a challenge because. With a couple of people dropping out of volunteer roles, I ended up being in charge of like bar rotors and all sorts of <coughs> like a general manager role. So I had to tweak a little bit yeah. this year, but we've we've brought, as I said earlier, Sally Perks in to do the ops manager role. So it's great. And how important do you think it is in the club cricket world generally that that I, I like the word professionalisation comes into uh, the, the the norm, shall we say? Yeah, it's it's a balance, isn't it? You've mm. got to. I don't have any qualms using the word professional because I'm talking about in its uh, true sense. Mm. Um, and I think it's the balance between respecting your history, maintaining or developing the right culture, yeah. whichever you want to do, but dragging things forward. And, and you know, it's it's putting all those things in the melting pot. I mean, if you look at, say, ECB speak, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. it's often when you look around things like their grant aid funding yeah. gives you a good steer on what they're currently thinking like. Mm-hmm. A warm and welcoming environment. Yes. The girls cricket level. Of course, they're, they're, they're buzzwords for them because they're very important, but they're also linked to their funding. So it's, it's it's getting those things in the melting pot, looking at what you're actually true, your true identity is as a club anyway, yeah. where you want to get to, put all those things into the thing and then saying, right, what comes out of that? But not only what, but when. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to do next? What can come in two years' time and so on? So I constantly have chats here with Kev Holgate, who's our um, safeguarding officer, who leads on Club Mark as well. Mm-hmm. And Kel's a great guy, but he but he, he gets a little bit edgy once every three years when Club Mark comes up. Understandable. And I keep saying, Kev, it shouldn't be once every three years you and I sit down to go to it. It should just naturally yeah. fall out of the evidence yeah. we've already created with what Absolutely. we're doing. And he, he gets that, but but it's you have to almost be around the place a lot to live and breathe it, don't you? Yeah. So, you know, someone Aiden would be on the ball with everything out to it because he's here all the time. Um, so it's, yeah, and it's, and it's managing. Nobody ever has enough volunteers, do they? doesn't matter how big a club you are. Absolutely. You know, is a massive club. They're probably still arguing one more people. Mm-hmm. You never have enough. And the more you have, the more there are to manage. So it's, it's, your work's never finished, never done. There's a great phrase that uh, Jenny Moore used from Staffs Cricket when we interviewed her, which said, volunteers don't grow on trees. Yeah. Um, and you do have to grab them when you can, yeah. but you've also got to make sure they're the right ones and that they're, as you say, to respect the history and do all the yeah. right things. Yeah. Well, I think that is a really interesting point based back, back to what we were talking about earlier in the fact that it is different to the 1980s when you could have half a dozen people run run something 
but there wasn't the onus on the organisation. Let, let's be brutal about this. There wasn't the onus on safeguarding back in the 80s as there is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and pure organisation of cricket clubs. And we've seen it at Winsold. You know, we've reorganised quite a lot in the last five or six years. It's made a substantial difference to the club in the yeah. way we're organised. But then you always want that extra one or two volunteers just to yeah. jump in in particular. Yeah. I think we've found, and I'm sure you can tell us more about this, when it comes to junior development in particular, it's the junior coaches that you need to come through, isn't yeah. it? I think you've been quite lucky at Ticknell over the years, but at the same time, you've had yeah. your challenges. Yeah, I mean, we're probably aren't as lucky at the moment in terms of our more proficient technical coaches and high-level coaches have stopped doing so much. And Paul Warrington, obviously, is here, but he's now got he, he teaches in the school mm-hmm. up between Leeds and Bradford. Right. So he's not around, really. Um, and one or two other people, have, you know, Joss Morgan used to do a bit of that. He lives, he's in London now and so on. So I'm not saying we're overly reliant on the, the parent helpers, but certainly as much as we ever have been in the last few years, it's... It's about the fine line between getting enough solid coaching yes. input yeah. and decent volunteer managers and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, as soon as in club world, you can't have a situation where, well, a parent says, I'll, I'll, I'll happily manage a team. And you say, well, I don't really want to manage the team your son or daughter's in because that's not going to happen in club Absolutely. world. You can do it at a county level yeah. um, if they're going to do it. But that's but by definition, then they might do a couple of years and then you know, son's moved on to his yeah. own business. Yeah, so I, I, you've got all that challenge. And, and managing people, but yeah, it's, it's that's, that's a great that's a great little point you've made there. I find it really funny because it's I, I watch so many parents manage teams with their children in it, yeah. and halfway through the season they'll say to somebody they never listen to me. And guess what? That's why we want you to manage another yeah. set within the group because actually they for some whatever reason they will listen to the coach yeah. far more than they will listen to their manager who's their parent, yeah. and it's it's just a different yeah. sort of yeah. um, it, nature, absolutely it is. It is. Super over. Right, so Howard, let's get to this super over for you then. So tell us, what's your favourite ground? Would have to be Sidmouth Cricket Club, I think, in Devon. Well, right, that sounds right, picturesque. Right by the sea, that's Pavilion. Good, cool. What about your favourite batsman? Favourite batsman of all time, probably Robin Smith. What about your favourite bowler? That's got to be Jimmy, surely. Yeah. What about your favourite tipple? A good part of real ale, yeah. What is your favourite cricket tea item of choice? I don't know, really. Um, I think it's just the variety, isn't it, of the, of the tea, really. I'm not... Yeah, just a good, varied cricket tea. Um, and then, most importantly, your sporting hero, cricket or otherwise? Uh, I might go back to Robin Smith on that one, even. That takes me back to an era where, you know, I think I was very much, you know, loved the game for just the reason of watching it and, and, and so yeah. on. So I'll, I'll go with Robin Smith. That's great. Thanks, Howard. Super over... Tell us, how how does your coaching business now sort of link together with what you do here at Ticknell and sort of the general, you know, sort of the general week to week for you? Yeah. um, So the coaching side of things obviously is, I mean, we do a lot of one-to-ones down here Mm -hmm. through the business, which obviously makes, obviously the coaches get paid for that, but it makes money for the club as well. Um, And then my other work, I do quite a lot for Staffordshire and Warwickshire. Um, Not too long ago, as you remember, Link was with Staffordshire and Derbyshire, but that uh, yeah. by the wayside. In after I'd finished at Derby, but it's now now Warwickshire sort of jumped in on that and mm-hmm. strong strong link with staffs. Uh, so that works quite nicely for me because I do an age group with Warwickshire and then do the staffs emerging player program, so I can keep an eye on who's what the standard needs to be and so yeah. on. Um, that works well. Um, and then on top of the coaching side, obviously, is the, the retailing side of things. Um, it's just yeah, just. Has that continued to grow for you, the retailing side? Yeah, I was saying to, saying to Rich earlier that 2021 was a good year. Mm-hmm. 2020 was a, a 
pretty dire year, as you can yeah. imagine. For most um, people. Yeah. So we've we've yeah, we've really reinvested most of that into stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to have another good year. But um you know, we're just planning our pop up shops and so on ready for that late March, early April time, which is yeah. the key time for us. Um yeah, it's getting out there. We don't we don't we're not in that side of it to be a real big hitter. Mm-hmm. We see ourselves as quite a holistic cricketing mm. provider. And I think that's what people like about us. They know that because of our coaching expertise and so on, we're likely to give them really good advice on the right bat, the yeah. right pair of pads, yeah. we're not going to upsell things. Mm-hmm. It's just right, this is right for you, this is why you need this, and so on. I think people appreciate that, really. So. It's a personal touch that way, though, isn't it? They, they buy into the whole clean-hit cricket philosophy yeah. of, we want to sell your product, of course we do, yeah. but actually we want to coach you. Yeah. We want to make you better cricketers yeah. at, at all levels. Yeah. What sort of age groups are you looking after at the moment in terms of coaching-wise? What From what age to what age? Um, well, one-to-one, all sorts of people come. I mean, um, I'm trying to think. I've had people at seven, eight, and then we've had people in the last two or three years who've either started from scratch believe it or not over 60. Really? really? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. To start cricket. One guy told me he used to play but I don't believe him. I haven't watched <laughs> 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 don't, don't yeah, no. yeah. Um, yeah so yeah and you know and then people people travel quite a, quite a way we yeah. get um, and again it's not just me obviously coaching I, I use David Barr a lot he does the dog she's 16 Molly does quite a lot mm-hmm. um, um and then in the past, sometimes, again, Carl Cricken's up in Lanks now, in Lanks seconds, but mm-hmm. if he's in the area, I would say, right, I've got a few keepers together for you, Cricken, yeah. come and do stuff. Um, that still works well. But yeah, it's it's a real a real mix. But we have people, I, I have somebody coming across from Coventry. Um, so how do they get to hear about you then? Is it so so some, mouth, some people it? genuinely, if I've done in the past a Warwickshire session, and then they'll say, do you, can, do, you mm-hmm. do anything outside of this? Yeah. I say, yeah, but I'm a long way away. Well, and they usually say, well, okay, that's a bit far, but some have yeah. made that. Journey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, only the other day I was with a Warwickshire 10 session, a uh, young, young lad I was keeping session, and he said he's more the solid hold kind of style. And he said, that's fine. He said, we'll travel, we'll sort that out. But yeah. how, how do you see the standard of juniors in particular, youngsters coming through now compared to, unfortunately, I'll use that phrase again, back yeah. in our day? How do you see that standard? It's a great question. Because it, it, yes, it is about standard, but it's about the things that go in behind that. Yeah. And there's a great article that sent the other day. So I'm, I'm a good friend of mine is a guy called Mike Rotherham, mm-hmm. um, who is from more of your yeah. neck of the woods. I Mike know that name. Is a, was the England women's uh, team psych, yep. the test side. Then worked for the England Institute of Sport. He's done a lot of sports psychology, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. He did, um, he did um, bless her, she kept crashing with the speed skater. Um, Elise Christie. Elise Christie, yes. Christy. was her psych and so on. But Rotherham sent me a thing the other day and somebody put an article together and it was... It was a good article, but it was informative about what it didn't say as what it did say. And they were basically questioning about English coaching techniques, saying it's, it's too uh, top-down driven, too adult driven, too formulaic, too technical based, etc. And it was kind of an article that was mm-hmm. a bit about games for understanding it, but in a more in-depth kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely fine, and I had no issue with that. And it was sort of going back to saying, well, in the subcontinent, they learn to play against older kids and they play on pitches that are just mud patches and mm-hmm. they learn different formats and how to... And I get that, because I grew up where you played on a paddock at school yeah. and you had just a bat and it was still yeah. a cricket ball and somebody charged and he was three years older than you and you absolutely. found a way. And I would never, ever say that that was anything other than good news for me, mm-hmm. but 
we're not allowed to do that now. So it doesn't matter whether you agree with the philosophy for health and yeah. safety. Or we can't go and do that. Yeah. So and that isn't said in the article, of course. So mm-hmm. you want that? Yeah. I think think a combination of youngsters today find mastering things harder because of lack of focus. Mm-hmm. They cut. They don't concentrate for as long, without a doubt. So then you're constantly trying to reinvent ways of them learning to keep them engaged. Yeah. Um, everyone still loves a game. Don't, don't get me wrong. But to do game-based learning all the time. You need X number of people, X number of space, X, and so on. Yeah. So, you know, you can't do that in a net particularly well, and so on. So facilities and resources are a challenge. So I think, of course, flair and talent doesn't change fundamentally. Mm-hmm. That's That comes in cycles and, mm-hmm. and so on. But, you know, I, I think of I think of good examples of, of an era, so you look at something like Paul Warrington's era of play at Derbyshire when Paul's getting towards mid-30s now. But he, for me, yeah, some would say, well, he didn't make it. He didn't, but... He was at Derbyshire for 10 years, from 16 to 26 on the staff. He got released because fundamentally they decided that a batting average of first class of 28, 29 wasn't quite good enough. Yep. But in my opinion, Paul was pretty close to his, his level mm-hmm. because his, his mental strength, his work ethic and so on is second to none. So there's nothing, it was just down to talent. Mm-hmm. Someone like Dan Redfern, who was there at a similar time, a couple of years younger, but not most, Dan Redfern was unbelievably talented left-hand bat, played at Derbyshire, first class at 16. Yeah. Took five years to make his first hundred, though, getting out in the nineties, whatever. And yeah. Dan could play with the stick of rhubarb, but his was almost the opposite. I'm not sure where they ever did fulfil his talent. So okay. Released him, went to Leicester for a year, now playing for Leicester mm-hmm. in the third tier down of the North South South Cheshire League. That's interesting. And it isn't car- isn't tearing it up. Yeah, it's that proof that everyone's different, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So so that's just different people, and then you get that they're not impacting on top of that again. You've got the formats. Yeah. And I always find it interesting that when T20 started in this country, which is probably nearly 20 years ago now, it I think, like, sorry, in, in, in the professional game, yeah. everyone sort of said it as if it was something new, but, mm. but our kids have been playing it yeah. for ages. Mm-hmm. So you've got all that heaped on top of what they watch on telly, short formats, they don't realise that for every time Joss Butler does that, he's probably practised it a thousand times, and yeah. all the other stuff that goes behind it. And then there's that funny little uh, hybrid conundrum that I think really confuses youngsters about the terminology of red and white ball cricket because people loosely on television and radio whatever they just say yes. this is red ball cricket this is white ball cricket I think youngsters if it's not explained to them just think it's literally the colour of the ball they forget that actually it's not just the cut it's the format they're talking about and of course we then confuse things in things like league cricket here because we play limited overs in our senior cricket yeah. with a red ball mm-hmm. so we have a ball that does things like a red ball does but in, a, but in a white ball format. So that confuses kids even more. Yeah, so there's the whole stuff going on, which you've got to try and meander your way through and find ways of, of, of helping people go through that journey yeah, and understand. And I, I heard something really interesting the other week. Uh, there's a league that will remain nameless. Uh, they play half a season with win-lose cricket yeah. Yeah. and then the other half with win, lose and draw. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How confusing can that be yeah. for a junior coming through who's only played win, lose cricket? Let's be honest, the juniors can play yeah. win, lose cricket from the age of all stars yeah. all the way through to under 17s or 18s. Yeah. Then they go into the league, they carry on playing win, lose, and then get told, oh, second half of the season, yeah. you can't have a draw. Different formats altogether. Yeah. Totally what's, different. what's your view then, on win, lose, against, run, lose, draw? Because obviously Derby League changed over. Mm-hmm. I like win, lose, but only yeah. because, despite the very small percentage of people who, who are purists, and my dad will probably be in this camp still, they say yeah. they need to learn this if they're going to play multi-day cricket, but but about 1% are going to play, if that, mm-hmm. multi-day yeah. cricket. Yeah. Fundamentally, they're all going to learn to play limited service cricket, yes. clubs or whatever, so you yeah. might as well just play win, lose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get what, I have no issue with the fact it's draws further down from div six or seven down, whatever it is. No issue, because I think there's some fundamental other things at, at work there in terms of pitch quality and the massive range of not only ages but the massive range of 
abilities sometimes mm-hmm. just by definition where yeah. you've probably got to have a bit more flexibility mm. but, but yeah fundamentally in league cricket I think win loses they play win lose in junior cricket yeah exactly yeah all the way through point that. Yeah. yeah all the way through yeah. you use the word flexibility and that'd be a good time for me to ask you this question players are all now starting to get themselves back into nets back into yeah. training um, we had our first session last Monday and it was very interesting to see who was flexible and who wasn't flexible, is yeah. the best way to put it, after three or four months yeah. in cold yeah. storage. Flexible the next morning. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So what would your top tips be for players, club cricket players, obviously, who are now at that stage where they're starting to get going? We've all got, what, 10, 11, 12 weeks yeah. it is to the start of the season. There'll be a couple of pre-season friendlies along the way, potentially. What would you say they need to be doing over the next three months? Okay. It's another great question. It's one of these questions. I think based. I think your first thing is because otherwise you'll always have some challenges with players with different motivations. Is people knowing what your club direction and your club ethos is for those training sessions? Mm. I don't like using the word next sessions because pre-season, pre-season training on the assumption that you can get everybody moving in the same direction at least. I would say you've got you've got to keep it fun and you've got to keep it varied because otherwise people are going to vote with their feet. At the end of the day, it's it's amateur sport, so it's got to be varied. You've got to and and then you've got to basically say right where do we want to be by April or whatever, and you've got to find the best possible way of moving towards that. And some of that is competitive nets. I mean, if I was to say here's an ideal program given enough time and number of weeks, I would say try and get some fielding into each session, so little and often, rather than it being a whole session or whatever. Try, try and get 20, 15, 20 minutes of intense stuff all the time. Yeah. And then in terms of your skill development, I'm basing this on, on normal player development kind of um, principles. Try and do your technical work in your first few weeks. And if that means you're doing lots of drills in the nets, yeah. bowling at targets, etc. And then as you get towards the season, tactical side comes in which means you should be doing then your competitive nets Mm -hmm. we talk a lot in coaching about development versus performance mode and they should only ever be in one Mm -hmm. and where people get the two mixed up what you get is an excuse culture Mm -hmm. so if somebody's in development mode they should be learning a new skill it's absolutely fine to fail and they should be encouraged to try things and fail yeah trying to do it Mm -hmm. learning a new shot following a variation delivery whatever it is once you're into performance mode it's about like it is in a season so it should have reward and consequence attached to it mm-hmm. so where you get the mix and you get an issue is you've gone into the March time and it's batters against bowlers properly and that classic conversation you get in club net somebody runs in nicks the guy off and the bowler says that's out and yeah. the batter says no no I was just trying this right. well you can't be trying something still yeah. if you're in performance yeah. mode yeah. It's, it should be like it is in battle absolutely and understanding the two are very distinct difference and you've mm. got to keep a line between them but that's hard because mm-hmm. again it's resource driven and how many have you got to come into training and yeah. all those things so and we're talking amateur cricketers who've been doing it for 5, 10, 15, Correct. 20 years and have always done it this way yeah. um, well, I guess if they've got a common goal at the end of it and they can see that goal mm. and it's achievable then I try to say to all the batsmen in particular go into every net and treat it like an innings yeah. You know, do not go in there and try and swing from ball one. You know, treat if you've got fifteen minutes, take it like a fifteen minute innings where you're trying to face as many balls as possible to get your eye in. Yeah. Then maybe try and play a few shots. But then if you don't get that shot right, go back to, which is what you do on a Saturday. You'd go back into your shell on purpose to get that eye on the ball again, wouldn't you? It's, yeah, the, the, I say the challenge is you're obviously right, but if you're doing that on the base of the guys are bowling at them, are wanting either to work on something that's that doesn't tie with what the batter's working on or they're just being competitive Mm -hmm. asking the batter to go through that in development mode when his opponent is in performance is quite hard Mm. you're almost better taking them out and doing throwdowns and say right work on this 
Right, now go and test it in there. So you go, for, you can you can do development and performance mode in the same session, yeah. but just don't mix them up in the, in the, in the headspace, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You, you know, I always thought, once you're in that competitive space, just see if you can be knocked out for three weeks. Yeah. Build anything over three weeks mm-hmm. in training. Yeah, don't get, make it a habit. And it's, it's a ridiculously difficult thing to get through sometimes to amateurs. Um, do you find it, because I think here at Signal, you've got a professional. But we've, we've got a couple of paid players, yeah. Right. Does um, that make a difference having them around your guys when they're training? It does, and things. So Paul Barnes is the best example. He's not around training. Well, we only had one week last week. <laughs> there, but because he's away working now, in theory, he, should, he could be around on Sunday when we train. But I believe one of the reasons our batting outcomes and success has gone through the roof in the last couple of years is because of him. He's a brilliant role model. Mm-hmm. And people can see that he can churn out hundreds. I mean, his record is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But he still churns them out. And he prepares like a pro still. You know, hit, he'll hit a lot of balls in the week. Mm-hmm. A lot. And he'll watch him before a game. and be first day, he'll go and hit 20 minutes in the net. Then he'll do his team stuff and whatever. We had 13 different players score senior hundreds this year. Wow. Which is incredible. And seven of those were in the 13, which is even more incredible, actually. Absolutely. So 13 different people. But I think that's because of him. And they just think, hang on a minute. Set the standards. They see it, I suppose, see what he's doing, and they can inspire us. Because if Boz is in the Premier League game, 50 overs, if he is, after 30 overs, if Boz is 30 not out, he will not be panicking. Mm -hmm. He'll finish 120 not Mm -hmm. every time. Because he just he just can just take people down the last last part. Yeah. He's not he's not a big guy. He doesn't smack out the part often, but he can just destroy people because he's done all his hard work first thirty overs. Yeah, he won't worry in the slightest. So go on, then give us three words, three top tips for those uh, pre-season uh, training sessions. Three words for the okay, everyone. So enjoyment. Yeah. Variety. Yeah. Purpose. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. We're coming towards the end of our uh, little chat, obviously, Howard. So, but we did give you one pre-task to get ready yeah. for in particular. So, um, we are going to start publishing these, I think, soon because it'll be a good crack to put out there yeah. on uh, the internet. You've been invited to uh, enter a team into our little competition, yeah. the Stumps, Umps, and Beer Pumps Six Aside Comp. If you had to put your Six Aside team together, your perfect side. Yeah. Who would your six players be? You must have two batters, you must have two bowlers, an all-rounder and a wicketkeeper. Could be anyone from club cricket all the way through to international. You can choose yourself if you want to. Everyone has their own reasons. So let's start you off with your first couple of batters. Okay, so obviously I want to do well in this thing, so (laughs) probably they've been good players. So my two batters um, are Robin Smith, as I mentioned earlier, and Graham Thorpe. So I've got right and left-hand combo. Yeah. We've got Graham Thorpe, who's a brilliant player of spin. Yeah. Um, played off the back foot a lot. Could play square of the wicket, knocked it around. Kept the scoreboard ticking yeah. all the time. He, he, yeah. Won that series in Sri Lanka and almost on his own with Nasser against Murali that time in 2000, I think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like yeah. that. Uh, incredible player of spin, hard to get out, sold his wicket dealer. Then Robin Smith counter attack against Pace. So good combo there, right, left combo. Like that, definitely. Got to ask before I go any further. Are you in this team? Or are you just coaching? No, I'm just uh, I'm just watching. That's all right. <laughs> okay. Um, your two bowlers. My two bowlers. So Jimmy gets in as a seamer, and the incomparable Shane Warne has to play all rounder. Uh, both of them. Just the way the eighty-one series, the, the the way the man changed changed cricket in this country on his own. Have you? Yeah. I don't think we've ever seen anyone even close yet. Have we no. really? No, yeah, we might, one or two think they're getting close, but not a chance in yeah. a million years. Yeah. And I love the last one, the wicketkeeper. So this is where I've gone more lo- more locally, but I've gone for Harvey Hossein, who's obviously just retired yeah. early from yeah. Derbyshire. Yeah. So when I was academy director at Derby, he was almost, not not because he was quite a similar personality type to me, he was almost like the perfect student. So Harvey got, you know, he was a delight to work with, 
um, in terms of we've got everything out of every session. It was quite demanding, but mm. in, a, in, a, in a very um, polite manner. But the best way of describing what Harvey was like, he would, he would, I'd get, I'd get home having done 12, 14 hours at Bell, which, which was regular. Then I'd get home from the academy session and it'd be quarter to eleven. The phone would go, <laughs> and this little squeaky voice, because he was, he was, he was a late developer physically. Harvey was, and his little squeaky voice would come on the phone. How oh, it's Harvey, and it, uh, and then proceed. They clearly, have a list written down in front of him. I could just tell from the session. There was no, 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 just things to ask me. Wow. And there was no. There was no airs and graces with him. There was no how are you or anything else. Yeah. It was just, just a few things. And he'd take him out. And as soon as he'd finished, he'd go, thanks very much, and put the phone down. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. He was brilliant. So he challenged me a lot because he wanted absolutely the best out of everything. He was on the England Development Programme at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was great to liaise with the England guys around him. And he was just the perfect student. And it's so sad that he's, you know, he's retired age 25. Mm-hmm. He'll make it. Yeah, yeah, outstanding. Um, yeah. I to obviously, make that record, didn't he? He, he? he broke Bob Taylor's record on his debut as a as a 17-year-old against Surrey. Yeah. Was it 11 catches in the game? Something like that. Something like that at, at the Oval. Um, but yeah, so, but he's a very bright lad. He'll make a... I think he's going to do his sort of financial management um, exam. Okay. I think he'll, he'll make it... He'll be good at that. Will he come back to amateur cricket? I think he's, I think he's starting for Sporksman still. But how much he'll play, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but he, he, was, he was a funny one because he's... I'm always big on people's... When they develop as cricketers. Harvey was a, not only physically a late developer, he was a late into cricket. He, he, he played count under 13, so that was also his first year of playing cricket. Was That's incredible. Player. He was a tennis player. Okay. And hence, brilliant hand-eye coordination, great movement and so on. Um, so, he, you know, often you find with people like that, they often, in his case, he hasn't for other reasons, but they keep their motivation longer. Mm-hmm. Tom Wood's a good example here. Obviously, he's not Derbyshire staff now. Mm-hmm. Woody was quite a late developer in the county system, really only became quite good at 17s and above, and obviously is still playing now at 27. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other, most of the people he played with, you know, they might be playing club cricket, some of them, but some of them not at all. So... And it, it's fascinating because you could literally, you, you can count the runs of bloody good wicketkeeper saves in in yeah. local cricket in particular. Yeah. Uh, we see some absolute shockers. Um, for, I'm going to say from div two downwards, to be frank. Yeah. But then you see some who are just absolutely outstanding, make all the difference, don't they? So yeah. it's fabulous. Yeah. Hey, it's been great to chat today. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Rich, you, and we'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks. Stumps, ups, and beer bumps. Yes, thank you for that, Liv Omars, and a special thanks once again to Howard Dytham. A good few tips for the pre-season training and a good insight into coaching. Thanks very much. Don't forget the workforce day, and also don't forget to book your batting time slots with Livo for the indoor nets. See you all suited and booted on the 18th of March for a great night of trophies and dancing. Join us again next time. Cheers for now. So that's all we've got time for for this edition of Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps. Thank you to our special guest today. If you know someone at your club that wishes to come and have a chat with us and talk about your club, then please email us on stumpsumpsandbeerpumps at gmail.com. Also, please like and subscribe, and also you can follow us on Twitter. If you've got any questions, any stories, or any funny anecdotes, then please again email us on stumpsumpsandbeerpumps at gmail.com. We hope you've enjoyed our tour around club cricket life. So please join us again for more of the same. Thank you very much for listening. This is Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps. So until next time, there's your one for the over. Stumps, Sumps and Beer Pumps. Sports Social Podcast Network. Stump, Sumps and Beer Pumps.